we're in this Advent season, and, and this, this year I said, you know, I just want to preach some great Advent text. And uh, so Rebecca and I are talking about the text. She says, I love Emmanuel. I want to do Emmanuel. And I'm great, did Emmanuel last week. And, and this week I'm, I'm doing one of the shorter texts, but I'm going to read a longer uh, portion of it. And um, it, it is a, it's a great uh, Christmas text. It's in the Gospel of Matthew. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll read the whole thing, but, but I'm just basing it mostly on one text. And it says this in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophets. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to the son and gave him the name Jesus. Let's open our hearts. Pray together. Lord, we want your word to be living and active like you promised. And so we just open ourselves to you, to your word and to your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. All right, here we go. You might have to advance it for me. For some reason, the advancer's not advancing, Gary. <clears throat> so I did, did you notice the little kid thing on the bottom? And did you, any of you have your eyes open at the end of worship when that one little girl was trying to find where she was supposed to sit? You know, so when we, when we uh, it was part of a church plant in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, and the church was out over a canal, the, their, the main meeting place. And so you'd walk in on the, in the front and go down some steps, and there was a stage. And so everybody that walked in, you walked in next to the stage. So we would put up these partitions so that the people walking in couldn't look over and see the worship team and the, the preacher. So if you were late, everybody knew because you came in and walked in in front of everybody. So it was very funny because our way to, to, you know, there's a kid that's having a problem, is that the, the kid ministry would walk up and they would stand over on the steps. The, peop, the guy would not see it because there would be a partition. He couldn't see it. And they'd be holding up the baby over here while the guy's trying to preach over here. And the whole congregation could see and then someone would go, oh, that's my kid, and have to go up and do it. I mean, and, and, and so if you're preaching there, you're like, why is there a distraction? What, what is going on here? And then you realize, oh, there's a, a baby that needs attention. But, but that whole holding up the baby system, I mean, it worked. It worked. It worked. Better. So if you, you didn't see your number up there, you know, you're, they're going to put it up again, okay? They're going to go, hey, that's your kid. You know, if you don't know it, look at your name tag. 
get the number. Um, I, it's good. What does that have to do with anything? I don't know. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. I want to talk today, and I like to do an Advent message dealing with sin. And, and you say, oh my gosh, the pastors, can you advance it again for me, Gary? This, this is, I don't know. Hey, maybe that worked. No, go back. Do you go back? Oh, it's working. God, when, I, when I drop my TV controller and it stops working, I smack it on the table. My wife says, what are you doing? I go, after a few smacks, it starts to work again. Do you, you have those kind? I, I don't know what goes wrong with it. You smack it, and then it works, but then you drop it. It doesn't work. Smack it again. I, don't I want to talk about sin, okay? And this is going to be a little bit difficult because it's long, all right? The Old Testament has... has uh, a number of different words that it uses for sin, and uh, about two dozen of them. And so, and so I want to take a minute, and I want to just unpack sin. Why would Jesus have to come to save the world from sin? I mean, most people don't even consider sin to be a reality anymore. They completely just say, well, whatever you want to do, you can do. We are our own uh, beings. We want to just live out our, ourselves. And living out to be your true self nowadays in our culture is really living out your feelings. If you feel a certain way, you live that out, and that's the true you. You can feel a different way the next day or the next year, and now that's the true you. Identity is not based on something declared to us by God, given to us as a gift. It's based now upon our feelings. I'm not advocating that because I think feelings come and go. But that's the culture we live in. And so I'm going to talk pretty candidly about sin. And so we're going to look at different Old Testament words, New Testament words dealing with sin. Sin, uh, one of the common words uh, in the Old Testament is, is verb ra or ra'ah, and, and uh, it's used over 600 times in the Old Testament. And it's this idea of, um, of being broken. And, and this is really common. You know, we talk a lot about our brokenness, just a broken person. And that, that is one of the words for sin. And when I, when I meet people, and it helps uh, throughout wherever we're at, when I meet someone, uh, sometimes, I don't know if you know this, and you, you bump into people's brokenness sometimes sooner than later, right? So those of you who've, who have a, a picture of a perfect spouse, you know, I had one pastor said, if you th the, when I meet the person that married the perfect person, he goes, give them a month, they'll think differently. It's, it's because it doesn't take long to bump into people's brokenness. We all are affected by brokenness. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that we all are broken. That's, that's just the way it is. And I always picture the glass that falls down on the floor and breaks. That, that there's just something in us that is broken. And, and, and so when God created us in his image... We still bear that image, but that image is in some way marred. It is in some way broken. It doesn't perfectly reflect the image of God that he created us 
with. So sin as brokenness. Sin is also seen, it's a similar word, as blemish. It's the idea that you couldn't bring a blemished animal as a sacrifice in the Old Testament. Why was that? Well, one of the reasons God didn't want you to bring a blemished animal is because that would fit with your selfish or our selfish desires. Oh, here's the runt of the litter. That's the one I'm going to bring as a sacrifice. I don't have to give my best. And the Lord is like, no, this is about your heart. You're going to give your best. And that, that there is this sense of it being um, blemished, broken, bad. And, and, and so that's one of the beautiful things. We'll talk about it in, this, in a, minute, about a minute about being what God does to deal with these blemishes, to deal with these imperfections. Sin is also talked about missing the mark. Uh, in the New Testament, the Greek word is hemartia. It's this idea of missing the mark. But it's not just, it's not just the arrow. You know, it's like you're shooting an arrow. Oh, I, I hit off target. It's also going off the right path. It's like you, you're, you're going down and you lose directions. Now, uh, how many of you are old enough to, re- to remember pre-GPS days? Okay, I grew up with a map. And I mentioned this before. My wife would be the navigator. Let's just say that we had some great fights. I sort of miss those times, you know? Because now I, I, it's like if my GPS is playing, she'd be like, what? She told you what to do. I, I know. I, I don't know why I turned early. I just pictured earlier than now, and then you're getting off on the wrong road. It's like you, you can't. And I, I, I put mine to a British voice. Because I, I think it sounds better. It doesn't offer me tea or anything. I just think it sounds better than the American voice on my GPS. So, so <laughs> I, I will go, I'm not going to go on there. Um, so it's this, this idea of missing the mark, of getting lost. Years ago, because we, were, we grew up in the pre-GPS era, when they were first coming out, I, I was visiting a friend of mine in, in Holland, and he goes, he goes he, they had moved from a suburb of Amsterdam to a suburb of Rotterdam, and he's like, he's like you can take my car. I think he had a Citroen, this, you know, remember those things that you get in, and they go, and they jack it up a little bit, you know, maybe, they don't have them here, but it's like preaching to nobody. Okay, no, you don't know what these cars do. Okay. But, but he had one of the early GPSs. And he showed me in the trunk, they had all these CDs where they, they uh, had all the maps in. And you get in the car and you've loaded the CDs in. I mean, this was cutting edge technology. And he goes, all you got to do, Dwight, is start the car, push the button, it'll tell you how to get to my house. It's like, Wow. And so after church, I think I, I can't remember, I think I preached that Sunday at the church, and then I, and then I get in the car, and it starts to talk to me, and I'm driving down, and I'm on the highway between uh, Amsterdam and Rotterdam, and he goes, like, get off the highway. Like, get up, get off the highway. And then it goes, get back on the highway. I'm like, what? What is this thing? This thing told me to get, I know you told me to get off. And, and so I realized they have bugs in them, that they, they weren't perfect. And then I get to their house, and they lived in a really densely populated Dutch neighborhood. 
And it says, you have arrived. And he didn't tell me the house number. And I'm like, crumbs. But I didn't say crumbs. And, and, and I'm just like, all right, I'll, I'll park and walk. I think I've been to their house before. I think I remember. It's been a while. And I'm literally walking the neighborhood looking for the house because it was so, they were so tight together and the technology wasn't that advanced that, we, that a thousand feet was I arrived, you know? Sin gets us lost. Sin causes us to take the wrong turn. Sin causes us to miss the mark. Sin is also seen as, let me see if I, there it goes. Oh, do you feel like you need glasses for a minute when that thing changes? Okay, sin is seen as wandering uh, from the path, very similar to the one we just talked about, to cause to go astray, to be led astray. That's another word. Sin is the idea of crookedness. The uh, Hebrew word hava defines as a bend, twist, or a distortion of what makes, uh, in making something crooked. And, and, and that's, that is such a common understanding. It's like what God created to be good, sin bends, sin twists, sin perverts into something else. It, it always reminds me of when I get those knots in my shoes, you know, and, and, and you're trying to tie it and you get another knot and you get another knot. And after a while, you, it, the knots are causing a problem. There was this... Um, there was this string that walked into a bar, and uh, I've been waiting for, to tell this joke, so I, please put up with me. And uh, the bartender says, ah, we, don't, we don't serve strings here. So the string goes out, and he has an idea, and he puts a knot in the middle of it, and he sort of frays the end, and he walks into the bar, and he goes, I'd like a drink. And the guy says, aren't you the string that just walked into the bar? And he goes, no, I'm afraid not. I, when I saw the twisting one, I thought, I get, when can I tell this stupid joke? Except now. So, but here's the idea, that, that, that sin twists. It takes what God designed and declared as good, and it twists it to become something else, a perversion, a, 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 a misuse. Um, you know, we, we talk about people, normal people have filters that filter people from doing certain activities. You know, I don't know if you are like me, you read the news and you say, how does somebody, like we just had a, a, a person that was, um, uh, said they were a, a FedEx driver and they picked up a child and they took this child's life. And it's like, how does somebody do that? Like, how does their brokenness and their sinfulness manifest itself that they would want to somehow, some twisted way to, to, to do that to another human being? You see, sin distorts. It twists. I guarantee you, that guy didn't start out like that. It started twisting him a long time ago. Sin is also this idea of rebellion, 
Persia, the Hebrew, the verb and counterpart, parsha, both referring to in a rebellion. Simply put, rebellion is usually violent. It's a resistance to some authority. I mean, one of the, one of the early, early signs of this was the Adam and Eve when God said, don't eat from the tree. And you don't think of that act necessarily as violent, but it was this rebellion against their very creator. Say, so you can have paradise, just stay away from this. And it didn't, it didn't happen. Could not stay away. That's what sin does. There it goes again. Need glasses? Don't need glasses. Okay. Sin as trespassing. And this is the word we think about when it says, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's to overstep, to neglect, to violate. That's why when you study sin, okay, if, if you study theology, did you know they have a whole area of theology called hemartia? Did you know that? It's an area of theology. You can read whole books on sin. Did you know this? No, isn't that exciting? You could get your PhD in sin. You can. You can. It's the, it's the real deal. And, and um, one of the, the ideas here is that, is that sin can be not just things you think, not just things you do, but the, what, what theologians call sins of omission, things you don't do. And I was talking to Pastor Rebecca before the service because um, we, through the social workers in North Olmsted, we heard about a family who's homeless. And I, and I said to her, I says, there's got to be something we can do. The mom's child is in and out of the hospital. He's got sickle cell anemia. Mom's living out of her car. I'm just like, and, and it was so good because can I just tell you how great Rebecca is again? I mean, she said, you know, I was on that. And these are the people I'm contacting, and this is how we're trying to help. And, and, and just because it's just breaking our heart to have a homeless mom with a sick child, and they live apart. And trespass, in this sense, can mean we did nothing. We overstepped. But trespass can also mean you're going someplace that you shouldn't go. And I don't know if you've ever done that. I remember I was in a friend of mine invited us, their family, to go on vacation with him. And we went down, we drove down to the French Alps, and we uh, stayed in the uh, two separate homes. It was just a lovely time together. And we went out for a hike. He was British. He spoke French. I'm American. Do I speak any other languages? No. Studied tons of them linguistically challenged. So we jump over this fence and go for this walk off the path through the woods. And then we're walking through the woods for a while and we finally come back, went to a river, jumped in the river, did all these, you know, fun things. We come back, get back onto the path, and there's a sign. And I, I go, well, what does it say? <laughs> What was it? So finally, he wouldn't tell me right away. It was like, this is authorized military use. This is what the military uses for their drills and things like that. No trespassing. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Thanks, you know. We didn't get any guns shot at us or anything. I mean, this is like one of these areas where you're, you're not supposed to get off the path. 
but we trespassed. We broke the law. Sin is also seen as a debt. And I, and I love this because this is, this is why in the Lord's Prayer, so we say forgive our debts. Did you know that? Because it's one of the words used, and I like to use trespasses, but really the, the word in there is, is in one of the Gospels is debt. And that's why we say forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's this idea that, you know, you run up this massive credit card bill, you owe $50,000, maybe now with inflation, should we go up to a hundred? Can you get a hundred? Yeah, people can get a hundred thousand on it. Well, multiple credit cards, right? Okay, so you've been really bad. You ran up a hundred thousand dollars. You got crazy interest. You don't know how you're going to pay it. And some guy comes and says to you, hey, I'm going to pay your debt. And he takes your credit cards, and you guess you have to have multiple if you have that much. And he pays them off. Do you get that? That's, that's the kind of thing that sin does. Sin is indebtedness. Sin is indebtedness. We're making progress here. We're almost done. I told you you wouldn't like this part. Um, there we go. Let's do sin as desolation. So sin is, it can be defined as desolation. It's the ultimate consequences. And, and um, this is what uh, I see many times. I, I, God um, has put me many times in relationship to people with addiction. And I always think of desolation when I, when I meet somebody who's in late-stage addiction. Uh, had, a, had a relative that used to uh, call me when this person was... There was their significant other when they were just completely out of control. And they're like, can you go and visit them? And I'd go into this person who would be just messed up and stoned. Sometimes just all the facial issues of meth and all the garbage associated with it. And, and, and you see nothing but desolation. There's another guy I know, and he, his brother's homeless. He's a clerk in one of the stores I go to, and, I, and we talk about it, and he says he, says he, would, he would rather sleep at, on the stoop of this building outside in Lakewood than he would give up drinking. And he'll spend the whole winter outside, and he finds ways to get food and finds ways to get shelter when need be because his love of alcohol his addiction to alcohol has taken him there. And rather than give up alcohol, he'd be homeless. Do you see how sin can be desolation? And the last one is this. Is, is sin is, is, is it's compared to a drunken swerving. And it can be defined to err, to swerve, to meander, to go away, to be intoxicated. And... and uh, I said the last one. I guess I'll have to skip over the next one. And, and I just want to say, when, when we, we think of this, have you ever met somebody or ever in yourself, you've been so captivated by a thought or a behavior that it's almost like you, 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 you can think of nothing but that thing. I mean, video games are designed to do that to us, aren't they? So, I mean, have you, they literally, I, there was a gal one time I met, and she was doing her Ph.D. on... Uh, 
uh, video games and why women don't get addicted like men do, typically, some women do. And she was trying to crack the code so that they could write video games tailored to women so they could have the same addiction rate as they do with men. So like, wives are like, man, I know why, because men are like really simple, you know? Here, you want a steak? Yeah, you want a steak, you know? And you want to play a game? Yeah, I want to play a game, you know? Women are, have a few more, few more uh, things going on there that help them out a little bit. Um, and, and, and here's the thing. You know what I think does this to people too? I think porn does this to people. You know, I've had people tell me that, you know, when they, they look at porn, they can, they can lose track of time. Like it starts, you, you start looking, and all of a sudden, three hours are gone. I, I think this is the same kind of thing when he talks about sin as this, this swerving, this drunkenness, this, almost this intoxication by, by, by some kind of sin. Uh, I'll just mention these. Sin is also oppression. It's this idea that it's going gonna, it's gonna to demand a lot from you, your labor, your toll. It can be impropriety. This is used in classical Greek in terms of not honoring God in the way God should be honored. It's an idea of sin as being lawlessness, breaking the law. Greek word kakos, where we get the word kaka, if you want to know where that came from. And then sin is being bound to punishment. Is this idea that because of sin, because of the wrongs that we have done, we are now liable to be punished. And, and why would I talk about sin like this? Friends, when the Bible says that he came to save us from sin, do you see that you and I need a savior? There is not one person here, hopefully, and I've taken my time with these, as I've gone through this that doesn't go, boy, I've had that. Boy, I've felt that. Boy, I've seen that. And it's not just I've seen that in others. No, I've seen that in me. I've seen that happen in my life. I've seen that kind of effect from sin in my life. It's not sin because others are sinful. It's sin because we have the effects of sin. And that is one of the greatest things because when the angel appeared to Joseph, he said, I'm going to send Jesus to save the world from sin. And I'm going to tell you, the bigger the problem means the bigger solution. And it took the God-man and he, he told him, give him the name Jesus. And the, the word Jesus is Yahweh. Yahweh is an Old Testament word for God. God saves. God is my salvation. It's, it's, it's Jesus. And give him the name Savior. God is my salvation. Because he is going to solve the greatest problem in our world. I love to read the news. I don't know if you knew this. It's a, it is a bit of my addiction. And... and uh, and I, I read all, all sorts of articles. But when I read the news, I just see the effects of sin individually, politically, nationally. It's like we live in a world that needs a savior but rejects them so, so bad. 
It's funny, I was, I was reading the news uh, this week and I came across an article, and I don't know, those of you that are married, if you have a little fun with your spouse sometimes, but I was like, I was like hey, hon, uh, there's an article that says six everyday activities that naturally release dopamine in your brain. You want to know what they are? So, of course, I piqued her interest and said, well, one of them's eating, you know, Another one is drinking water. Another is receiving praise. Another kids is playing video games. And the last one, believe it or not, is having sex. And and you know what she said to me? You should drink more water. I can't make this stuff up. She came back to me and goes, what'd you think of that? I go, oh, that was a good fun. Thank you. <laughs> you, you see, that we live in a, we live in a, a, a world that has a, a practical problem, a theological problem, an existential problem, and, and it's played out in, in the book of Revelation. And there's this part of the book of Revelation where in Revelation chapter 5, it says this, Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. The scroll had writing on both sides and was kept closed with seven seals. And as I I saw a powerful angel who called in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seal and to open the scroll? But there was no one in heaven or on earth, or under the earth, who could open the scroll or look inside. I cried and I cried because there was no one who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. But one of the elders said to me, don't cry. The lion from the tribe of Judah has won the victory. He is David's descendant. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. He goes, then I saw a lamb standing at the center near the throne with the four living beings around it. The elders were also around the lamb, and the lamb looked as if it had been killed. It had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God that were sent out into the world. The lamb came and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And after the lamb took the scroll, the four living beings and the elders bowed down before the lamb, each one of them with a harp and also a golden, holding a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of God's holy people. And they sang a new song to the lamb, Worthy is the lamb to take the scroll and open its seal because you were killed and with your blood sacrifice you brought, bought people for God. You bought people for God from every tribe, every language, every race, every nation. And you made them to be a kingdom of priests for our God and they will rule on earth. Then I looked. And I heard a voice of many angels. The angels were around the throne, the four living beings and the elders. There were thousands and thousands of angels, 10,000 times 10,000. And the angels said in a loud voice, All power, wealth, 
wisdom, strength, belong to the Lamb who was killed. He is worthy to receive honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every created being that is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the seas and everything in all of these places saying all praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the four living beings said amen and the elders bowed down and worshiped. You see, we have a huge problem and the problem is sin. But we have a huge Savior who is what the Bible calls the God-man. Theologians, I should say, call him the God-man. It was started back with a guy named Anselm about a thousand years ago. And he said, it takes both God and man to, um, for this sacrifice. It says, so if I showed earlier that the heavenly kingdom must be filled with men, and if this cannot happen unless the satisfaction is made for sin, satisfaction which no one can make but God and no one ought to make but man, that it is necessary for the God-man to make it. And that is the beauty of it. He took Jesus, who was fully human and fully divine, to lay down his life and offer a sacrifice that paid for our sins so that we can know the Father, so that we can be reconciled to God. And I love this passage. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And one of the effects of sin is seems to put us to sleep. It's like that window in your house that you haven't washed for a year or more, but you've got used to looking out through the dirt, and it just looks normal. Maybe some of you don't have those windows. Maybe I'm telling on myself. Um, and then you, you wash inside and out, and all of a sudden, as you look out, you're like, that tree looks really green. And you're not looking through the fog. It's like the glasses that you wear that you haven't wiped clean for a while, and you've, you just sort of see through the smudges on the outside. And then when you clean them, you go, oh, wow, it wasn't my eyes. You see, all of us need to wake up in some way. That's why before Jesus came, he sent John the Baptist because he wanted people to repent, to prepare their hearts. And we are in the season of Advent where we want to celebrate afresh the birth of Jesus. And why do I go back and talk about sin just about every year? I do it because I believe it's an opportunity for each one of us to examine our hearts. If we had an aha moment when I read one of those areas in where sin is talked about in the Bible, then the Lord is saying, wake up. Wake up. Don't let this sin continue in your life. Wake up and do the right thing. And do you do it on your own? Oh, no, you need Jesus. He is the Savior. He is the one that empowers us. He is the one that forgives us. He is the one that reforms us in our blemishes. 
He is the one that takes us from the wrong path and guides us back to the right path. He is the one that takes our desolation and and our barrenness and he makes it green and living again. He is the one that takes our brokenness and he mends every broken part. And friends, if you're a follower of Jesus here, you're not immune to sin. You and I live in a world that's full of sin. And, and, and if we're honest with ourselves, we realize that we have a nature that tends towards sin. And we need Jesus today, every day. Ago, when we were missionaries, we were staying at a house right on the west side of Cleveland. Someone had died. We were back for a couple months, home leave. And, and, um, and we were living right, uh, right a street out of a housing development, public housing. And so the, you, you knew that there was a lot of drug dealing that was going on. And I remember the one day, because we were only like 500, 600 feet from the entrance to the development, I remember one day this cop pulls this guy over and I'm standing there looking out the front window and the lights are going on and they stop and they, 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 uh, I see this like three to five year old in the back seat of the guy's car. And I see dad handcuffed sitting on our tree lawn. And, and I just had this picture that that's all of us. That, that all of us in some way are captured and captivated and arrested by sin. And then it takes something to wake us up and to say, we need a Savior. And I'm going to pray in a minute, so why don't you stand up, and we're going to have the prayer ministry team come forward for those that want personal prayer. And, and, and I just want the Holy Spirit to remind you of an area of your life that needs a Savior. And if you draw a blank, as the Bible says, if your conscience does not condemn you, uh, you know what I think? Then your heart should be filled with adoration, with praise, with gratitude, because he has brought you to such a wonderful place of shalom and peace, and that's a gift from his Spirit. So let's pray together. Lord, we confess today we need a Savior. That in some way, Lord, we've been affected by sin. And we want your forgiveness. I want to give just the opportunity to, for someone that's maybe never given their life to Christ, never asked forgiveness, never started a relationship with the Savior. I'm just going to lead you in a little prayer if that's you. This is your day to just get right with God. To really be able to celebrate Christmas, the coming of the Savior, not just into this world 2,000 years ago, but into your life 2022.
So if you want to start a relationship with Jesus, just pray this with me. Dear Jesus, I want you as my leader, my Lord, and my Savior. I've sinned in more ways than I can imagine. So please forgive me. I believe you truly died a death on the cross for my sins. And I confess you now as my Lord and my Savior, Jesus, the Messiah. Come into my life. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to follow you. I want to leave my life of sin. For a life of learning to follow you. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, the Bible says that there are angels in heaven that rejoice over one sinner, and everybody could raise their hand. We're all sinners. That repents. And now to you that have been walking with Jesus for a while, and the Holy Spirit's highlighted an area, and he's saying, hey, I want this. I want you to let this go. I, I think you've messed this up. I think this relationship needs forgiven. I think you are, have moved into desolation because of your continued sin, and I want to, to deliver you from that. And so we're, we're just going to say, Lord, forgive us afresh. We've missed the mark. We've fallen short. Wake us up. Give us the grace to follow. Forgive us afresh. And God, we thank you that there is only one worthy to take the scroll. There's only one worthy that could truly die for our sins, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. You're the only perfect one. We thank you that you're the author and the perfecter of our faith. And we worship you today. We worship you today. So here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely and altogether worthy and altogether wonderful to me. We got some prayer team here. You know, if the Lord's spoken to you, if there's something in your life, just come on, get some prayer. Don't be shy. God does stuff when we humble ourselves and get prayer. So come on up and get some prayer. I'm going to give you a blessing and... And, uh, but we're going to keep prayer ministry going. So may the Lord truly bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be, be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his true favor, his countenance upon you, and give you peace. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. Get some prayer ministry. Holy Spirit's here.